So Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Cadence, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it shares the silence, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Zotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns, until he came to Caesarea. Adriel, do you want to know? Why don't I pray as we start? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We pray that we would have a great comprehension of what you're saying to us in this amazing story in Acts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Please do keep that passage open and keep the handouts in front of you. It's really going to help you keep track of where we are in the story. And to begin, I want to say there's something so powerful about a velvet rope, isn't there? It just screams restricted access. Now, I'm not sure if you watched the Oscars recently. I'm not sure anyone really does anymore. But between the red carpet and the adoring crowds, well, there's that iconic velvet rope. This division between those on the inside and those on the outside, and the photographers, the reporters, they're they're all craning their necks just to get a glimpse of the stars on the other side of that rope. But if you aren't a star, if you aren't an insider, well, then you stay behind the velvet rope. I was at the Tate Modern recently, and there in front of me was this magnificent Rothko painting. You'll know they have an entire room dedicated to the paintings of Marth. Mark Rothko over in the Natalie Bell building. Each one of them is amazing. Each one of them is worth an eye-popping amount, but safely placed behind the constructed wire barrier. 
I saw a mother let her toddler run loose, and obviously the first thing this toddler did was crawl under the wire. And you can imagine the scene that followed when the security guard, standing just metres away, made swift intervention. No, the general public stands behind the rope. Only the curators and the conservators with the right credentials can approach the paintings up close. If you're an insider, well, the rope is no barrier. If you've got the right credentials, the rope is no barrier. Uh, this last few weeks in Acts, they've been exhilarating, haven't they? We've seen the gospel on the move. Stephen's speech showed us that well, God's dwelling beyond Jerusalem wasn't merely a possibility. No, it was a theological law. Heaven is God's throne, and the earth is his footstool. I mean, how could Jerusalem be a cage for the living God? No, the temple of God is Jesus in God's people. And last week you saw how the gospel brings reconciliation even to wayward Samaria, wiping out centuries and centuries of bad blood. This gospel is amazing. And this week we meet a man who has lived his life behind the velvet rope. A man who loves the God of Israel and yet is a stranger to Jerusalem. So how does this amazing gospel change the life of one who has lived life on the fringe for as long as he's called upon the God of Israel? And what does that mean for us in Covent Garden 2,000 years later? Well, you'll see where we're going on the handout today. Jesus welcomes a stranger as his own, signalling the gates of global worship flung open. And my hope for the next little while is that we'll come away utterly convinced that it's game on for gospel advance the the world over. Uh, But let's start with point one on the handout there. Jesus welcomes a stranger as his own. The story begins with our friend Philip, who you'll remember from last week, he was in Samaria. And he was one of those seven faithful men chosen to serve tables back in Acts 6. And just as Stephen was used so powerfully as a word minister, well, Philip is busy doing that everyday Christian work of proclaiming the gospel. But this week, I wonder if you noticed that unusual circumstances of how Philip gets started in verse 26 of chapter 8, if you'll look with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So an angel sent by Jesus comes to Philip to give him his next mission. And if you're just tuning into this series in Acts, I mean, this doesn't happen every single week. Angel mail is as special as it sounds. And I think we as readers are meant to understand that whatever is about to transpire, whatever happens in the next few verses, well, this is the risen Lord Jesus making his next gospel move. Whatever is about to transpire is the risen Lord Jesus making his next gospel move. And it involves Philip intercepting a weary traveler south of Jerusalem. And so I think we're meant to be more than intrigued when we encounter this individual that Philip is being directed to by the Lord Jesus. Surely he's a big shot. You know, surely he's an insider. Surely he's someone with the right credentials. But read with me in verse 27. Uh, Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So, yes, he's a big shot. I mean, just look at his job title. But we've not really met someone like him in Acts 
so far, have we? He's a bit of a stranger on two counts, and you'll see them as subheadings on the handout under point one. So firstly, he's not an Israelite. He's an Ethiopian. And not just any Ethiopian, he's a patriot. He's a court official to the Queen, the Chancellor of the Exchequer to all of Ethiopia. I just got a, a notification on my phone the other day saying uh, Rishi Sunak just announced a new budget for the UK. Well, if people had smartphones 2,000 years ago, they'd all get no- notifications with this guy's name in it. This guy's a big deal. He's a household name in Ethiopia, likely. But he's no Israelite. He's a foreigner to Israel. And at the, ver- at the end of verse 27, we read that he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. So he was most likely a, a proselyte, a Gentile, a non-Jew who had come to follow the God of Israel, a legitimate believer whom God has welcomed. And yet you can imagine him at the feasts in Jerusalem just feeling a bit out of place, can't you? A non-native to Jewish life, a foreigner with strange customs, one with this constant sneaking suspicion that they don't totally fit in. Our Ethiopian friend is an outsider, But I think this feeling would be amplified by his other defining characteristic, which makes him such a unique presence in Acts so far, because our Ethiopian friend is a eunuch. So we're on our second sub-point now. And this this seems to be the Ethiopian government official's defining feature. In fact, Luke refers to him exclusively as the eunuch from this point onward. So eunuchs were men who were castrated, men whose testicles were removed They were particularly set apart for the service of important women in ancient times. And as a eunuch convert to Judaism, well, he he would have been made keenly aware that his physical state meant that he was a stranger to the assembly of God's people. Eunuchs were barred from entry into the temple of the Lord. You can read more about this in the Old Testament. The reference is in Deuteronomy if you're interested. But the restriction is clear. If you're a eunuch, well, you can imagine there's a large velvet rope across the entrance to the front gate of the temple. In fact, we can imagine our eunuch friend visiting Jerusalem for the first time as a convert to Judaism. He's amazed to even be able to stand outside the temple of his new God. But being met with a sign too big to miss, written in common Greek, saying, "'No stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure.'" Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for his ensuing death. This is the temple warning inscription. You can see an example of this inscription carved into a tablet from 23 BC, currently held in a museum in Istanbul. And the message would have been clear. Uh, Yes, you can believe. You can join in in the festivals. But eunuch, you are a a stranger to the temple of the Lord. And it's such a serious offense for you to enter that the penalty is death. So we talked about God's presence, forgiveness and prayer when we discussed the temple a couple of weeks ago. These are temple privileges that this faithful, believing eunuch could not directly enjoy. And so this is why Luke has this attribute flashing in red in this passage. This man is a eunuch, a stranger to Jerusalem, a stranger to the temple of the Lord. Which means that when Philip is commanded by Jesus' spirit in verse 29 to get into the chariots, I think we're right to be partly confused and partly amazed. 
particularly when it becomes a one-to-one Bible study in Isaiah. So in verse 30, Philip asks the man, as he reads from the prophets, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is a strange encounter with a stranger to the gospel. And I wonder whether Philip was slightly wondering what the Lord Jesus had planned for him as he got into the chariot. I'm not sure Philip envisioned himself having this kind of day over his bowl of Cheerios at breakfast. Jesus is doing something very special here. Uh, Some may identify that passage being read as Isaiah 53 in verses 32 and 33. If it looks slightly different, it's because it's quoted from the common Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what the Ethiopian eunuch would have been able to read. This is a text written some 700 years before this Ethiopian eunuch reads it. A text describing the future death of God's suffering servants. A death that will pay the price for God's people's guilt from sin and make them innocent before God. It's a promise that's fulfilled in the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus. But did you notice in verse 34, if you'll look with me, well, the eunuch has questions. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? So this convert to Judaism is asking Philip, the faithful Christian, who the suffering servant is. I mean, I wish every evangelistic one-to-one Bible study was a sitting duck like this. It's amazing, isn't it? And in verse 35... Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I would have loved to have been a stowaway on that chariot as all this was going down, wouldn't you? And we can only imagine Philip's faithful survey of the Old Testament, culminating in the good news that Jesus died, was raised in accordance with the scriptures, now seated at the heavenly realms, at the right hand of God, ruling with all authority. And the Ethiopian eunuch... Well, he believes. And in verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So the Chancellor of the Exchequer of Ethiopia, this eunuch has been granted repentance and belief. Just as many others we've seen in the book of Acts so far. It's an iconic moment, isn't it? It's cause for celebration. And for, for those of us who know the privilege of knowing God's King, Jesus... We will know the feeling, that the joy and the comfort. But might I suggest there's something even bigger going on here? So when the eunuch asks, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, we know that ever since Acts 3, Luke has been showing us how Christians are the new temple of God. The eunuch couldn't enter the old temple. Can he enter the new one? And I've been wondering exactly how the eunuch asks his question in verse 36. Because what prevents me from being baptized that might meet the same response as what prevents a eunuch from entering the temple at Jerusalem. Something along the lines of, well, no stranger is uh, to enter the temple of God's people in Jesus. Or he himself will be responsible for his ensuing death. I wonder, did he look up at Philip cautiously, thinking he was asking something audacious? Did he ask Philip confidently, trusting in the Lord Jesus' kindness? Well, we just don't know. But beautifully, in verses 38 and 39, well, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they both go down to the water, and they both come out of the water. 
Luke is showing us this amazing unity that the gospel is bringing through faith in the Lord Jesus. Which means that this Ethiopian eunuch, well, he's a genuine article, just like Philip. It means that he's welcome in this new temple assembly. He's no longer a second-rate citizen. He's equal with Philip. He's equal with all those who recognize Jesus as Lord. And I'd like for us to just dwell on a couple of observations at this point. So firstly, just as with every conversion we've seen in Acts so far, well, conversion happens through God's word, through God's people. The gospel is on the move, but the principles of kingdom advance are unchanged. It's God's word through God's people. Uh, But secondly, and more crucial to this passage, I think, Luke has gone to great lengths to emphasize that this is all Jesus' work. It's the risen Lord Jesus who has orchestrated this entire seemingly chance meeting. Now, nothing happens outside the Lord's sovereign design, but Luke wants us to know that Philip hasn't gone rogue by welcoming this man into Jesus' assembly. No, Jesus has sought this individual. Jesus has welcomed him as his own. In fact, Philip would be going rogue if he refused him. Jesus brings Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, and in verse 39, Philip is whisked away by Jesus' spirit after accomplishing what Jesus sent him to do. Which I think leaves us asking the question, why? You know, why did Jesus go to all this effort, orchestrating this watershed moment? And why does Luke document it? And for that, I think we'll look at that in our second point on the handout. Jesus welcomes a stranger as his own, signaling the gates of global worship flung open. The Ethiopian eunuch, he's an iconic character in the New Testament. We've seen he's humble, he's faithful, perhaps even audacious in his confidence in the Lord Jesus and the power of the gospel. But I hope that we'll also leave today convinced that he was a man that the prophet Isaiah longed to meet. Because the day a man like the Ethiopian eunuch finds temple inclusion, that is, that he repents and believes in the gospel, well, that's the day that the velvet rope separating the world from worship is being cut to bits. But to see this, we're going to have to flip to Isaiah 56. That's on page 616 in your Bibles, I think. Isaiah 56. You'll see the reference on the handouts there under the second point. These were words that Isaiah wrote in anticipation of what God's suffering servant would achieve. Or as the Ethiopian eunuch has just learned from Philip, what the Lord Jesus would achieve. We're on page 616 there. And would you look with me at verse 3? Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. So I think God is telling foreigners and the eunuchs of his people in the time of Isaiah to trust in him. Not to think that God is going to pull the rug out from underneath them or that they'll die fruitless. Because in verse 4, For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So do you see what God is promising here? A day when the eunuch who has been barred from the temple of God, so we can recall that temple warning inscription, well, that eunuch will have a monument 
in the temple of God, a name better than sons and daughters. This is not, not just total inclusion in the temple, but this is VIP treatment forever. When the suffering servant does his work, well, the eunuchs of the kingdom of God will be welcomed into the temple. Uh, but stay with me in Isaiah. Let's look at verse 6 together. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. When the suffering servant does his work, the foreigners of the kingdom will be welcomed into the temple. So do you see why the Ethiopian eunuch is such an iconic figure? Both a eunuch and a foreigner, a man who has been barred from temple entry in Jerusalem, a twice stranger. And he's one who's now leaving, he's moving away from Jerusalem, and is yet a full member of the Lord's temple in the Christian community even as he continues on to Ethiopia, rejoicing on his way. Luke has given us this story to show us that the gates of global worship have been flung open. The velvet rope has been cut to pieces. It's game on for global worship. I remember watching the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics as a kid. Kathy Freeman, who's an Australian runner, had the honour of lighting the torch. And as the flame uh, came to life, it was a signal that the games had begun. Well, I think Philip has been summoned by the Lord Jesus for a similar task. Uh, His sharing the gospel with a foreign eunuch who who turns and trusts in Jesus, it's like a signal to the world. The signal saying, the gates have been flung open. Come all and worship. Even you who felt kept behind the rope, come and know your God. It's a flame that's burning as brightly today as then. And we can be certain because of this passage in Acts. You know, my my little sister and I love this passage. I think she would say it's her favorite passage in the New Testament. Uh, Growing up in Australia as Sri Lankans, I think we felt like outsiders at times. I can't speak for her, but when we joined a local church, we were the only people who looked like us. I always had a sneaking suspicion that I didn't fit in. And perhaps you're in a church now when you might feel like that sometimes, even in really small ways. And for the longest time, I felt as though this Ethiopian eunuch was my representative, some least likely to, who the Lord had extended special mercy to. But I've been struck this week by the smallness of my thinking. So yes, this man is my representative, but it's because this man is the world's representative, the representative for Gentiles born outside the commonwealth, of Israel, the representative of many people in this room today. Because as he's included in God's temple of believers, a flare is thrown up, a flag is raised, the torch has been lit. It's a signal that means that it's game on for global worship. The latter days that Isaiah dreamt of, they're upon us. That's now. Isaiah longed for the day where someone like the Ethiopian eunuch would enter the temple through the front gate, no longer held as a stranger or as an outsider, no longer under penalty of death, but as a full member honoured by God. And this is what Jesus has accomplished 
through his death and resurrection. Do we still think of the Ethiopian eunuch as a stranger to the Lord because of his race or physicality? I think we need to repent and believe in the power of the gospel. Because if he's a stranger, well then so are we. But the gospel is making true family out of strangers. The gospel makes him as authentic as Philip, as Peter, as Paul. It makes you and me as authorized for temple membership as the greatest disciple. This is what the gospel is achieving today and every day as the word of Jesus goes out. So how dare any one of us feel like outsiders in the assembly of God's people? That in the age of the risen Lord Jesus, the velvet rope has been cut to pieces. The outsiders are now insiders who turn and trust in Jesus. And the only credential needed is trust in Jesus as Lord. It's game on for global worship. But how dare we put up a velvet rope for anyone else? We just had a mission week at St. Helens, and uh, we held a small evangelistic event with some friends. And as, as I was extending invites, well, I found myself thinking, you know, my friend Lorna, she definitely won't come. You know, my friend Kieran, he'd be so out of place. I mean, we think, all this, we think about this uh, in this way all the time, don't we? But do you see the irony here? This is you and me in the temple of God, the least likely twos being made full members, the outsiders, now insiders, but gluing a velvet rope together that the Lord Jesus has cut to pieces. This is the age of global worship. The signal has gone up, which means it's finally game on, global gospel advance. The era that Isaiah dreamed of, it's today, that it's now. So are you living life like there's a velvet rope between you and God, between you and God's people? Or are you living a life that puts a velvet rope between God's people and others? The gates of global worship have been flung open. This is the era of unrestricted knowledge of the Lord. This is the era of inviting people in to know their God and to be family and not strangers of the living God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would truly believe what the Lord Jesus has accomplished what Isaiah dreamed of, the day of gates flung open for gospel worship all over the globe, brought about by the global gospel advance. And I pray that we would grasp the significance of this era, the era of enjoying full membership as your people, and would we not see ourselves as strangers to you if we've trusted in Jesus, and even continue the work of the risen Lord Jesus by holding the invitation out and never barring anyone from entry to the temple of God's people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.